I was 27 years old, fresh out of grad school, and had just been hired as new guidance counselor for a small rural school system in the western part of Virginia. Oh, you were going to save the world. <laughs> you were going to save us all. Oh, yeah, she came from across the mountain, and she's going to save the bumpkins over here and all the poor people and all the poor black folks. That's Gwen Malone. Gwen was a black teacher there at the time, and I learned so much from her because there was a lot that school didn't teach me. You see, this was a county with a long history of racial division. The schools weren't even integrated until 1966. And up until the 1980s, the local skating rink didn't allow blacks. That meant Gwen's daughter couldn't attend her high school senior party there. I was horrified. I didn't think stuff like that existed in our country. But how could I? Growing up in my all-white neighborhood, going to my mostly white schools. Still, I thought I was enlightened. I told Gwen, I don't see color. I see people. What the shit you telling me? You don't see that old black kid over there. And that's what I have to say. Okay, reality check. You don't see color. Then you don't see me. I don't exist in your world. I don't exist. If you don't see color, you don't see a colored kid and a white kid and a brown kid and an Asian kid, then I don't exist. And really, while we may all be the same, we have differences. Let's celebrate those. I'm a kid. I, I was a little colored kid in the class. And the white teachers didn't really didn't see me because they didn't want to see me. They didn't see me. It wasn't that they were good teachers and they were not seeing color. They just didn't see me because they didn't want to see me. Welcome to the Ashtanga Dispatch Podcast. I'm your host, Peg Mulqueen. And today I'm talking to my good friend, Shana Small, the founder of the Ashtanga Yoga Project and a teacher student in Charlotte, North Carolina. Our subject is racism. Though not the kind of overt prejudices and discrimination that I think most of us think of, but a type of racism that's almost more destructive because it's unconscious, it's implicit, and it's so deeply embedded within our institutional structures that we barely recognize it or even notice it. And that includes our yoga culture, a world that is predominantly white and privileged white at that. Now, as a black woman, there was a time Shana did not want to call attention to the color of her skin. You'll hear her explain that from the time she was a little girl, she was taught that if she wanted to be accepted in a white world, she needed to blend in, assimilate, and make others feel comfortable before she could show herself. And so for many years, Shana did just that. But not now. Not anymore. Like when Shana wants you to see her color. And she wants you to see her. Yes, I want you to, please. 
please. There's this idea, okay, yoga is one, and that means you shouldn't see color, and, and that's where you're trying to get to, where everybody's the same or whatever. So if you talk about being a woman, if you talk about being black, then that's the opposite of yoga because everybody's one and everybody's the same. But I had the opposite effect <laughs> by, by, by learning and, and listening to other people and their experiences of being a person of color and listening to people talk about their experiences, experiences being a, a woman and, and letting that part of myself out. I am able to connect more with people. I'm able to feel oneness more with them by connecting with them that way than as opposed to ignoring that. Why wouldn't you want to see color? Right? It's beautiful that we all are here on this planet and we all look so different. That is gorgeous. That is beautiful. Why would you want to ignore that? It's, we don't, don't ignore that. See color. There's nothing wrong with seeing color and seeing that someone is different. And then from that place, that's when we can start to honor people honor the differences honor the different cultures and not seek to like erase what makes us or ignore or or not see what makes us uncomfortable right so like we want to be seen and then the second part of that is as we both uh, as as you discovered that's not even true (laughs) it was just something you were telling yourself it's not even true it's not even true. And I always use the example. It's like, okay, I'm black. And what if I sent you to the, um, what if I sent you to the uh, drugstore to buy me some foundation? <laughs> what are you going to come out with? So you do see color. You're not going to go pick out the light tan. <laughs> You're going to go to the section with the more browner colors. So it's like, it's not even true. You do see color. So what is it inside of you that's making you want to make that statement? Like, that's where the work needs to be done. Why am I even making that statement when I know it is not even true? Good question. Now, I'll be honest. We didn't discuss race too much in my house. I think there was this assumption that it was rude to bring it up. Now, Gwen helped cure me of that shyness a bit, but not completely. And even though it's a dialogue that I feel strongly needs to happen, I still don't feel very practiced having it. It actually feels a bit risky, even now. And Shana gets that. She's felt that way actually too. In fact, just a few years ago, when putting together the third issue of the Ashtanga Dispatch magazine, I asked Shana to write an article on her own unique experience as a woman of color in the yoga community. But she didn't want to. Yes. And I wasn't comfortable then for many reasons, because, you know, in America, you know, black children are often raised in the way where you're given the idea that you should, you should try to fit in. You you should try to fit in. Don't make waves. You know, if you just fit in, don't make waves, you know, the doors will open for you and you'll be, you know, given a seat at the table and, you know, and that's how you do stuff. Um, and so even when I came into the yoga world, this idea was kind of, honestly, it was given to me and it was like a pivotal moment, um, kind of in my whole yoga. I don't like to use the word career because 
but for lack of a better word, once I became a yoga teacher and started taking on students, put it like that, mm-hmm. um, very well-intentioned person was like, you know, we're going to teach it this way. And we teach it this way because it, it gets people to feel comfortable. Um, and so they come in and they get comfortable with you and then you can start teaching it the way that you want to teach it. And that's kind of, you know, what I was told. And so, and that's the story that's been told to a lot of young, like children, you know, like, you know, get them comfortable, <laughs> make everybody else comfortable first. <laughs> All right. And, and then maybe at the end of your life, you can be comfortable, you know? So what all of a sudden changed for Shana? It was a yoga conference titled Unity and Diversity. It's the one that we brought you in last month's podcast. The title meant to highlight various approaches and philosophies within the Ashtanga yoga community with a panel of 11 awesome teachers who really were quite different, except in one notable way. They were all white. So not one person of color. Well, I mean, like that moment was pivotal for me because that's when I really, really, really had to come to grips with the fact that what I was promised wasn't going to come around unless I said something or unless, unless I was pivotal in helping that. Meaning that, um, this idea that if you just teach this way, if you just present something this way, then it will open the doors for other things to start to happen. So it was like that with people of color and yoga, it's like, you know, well, if you just show up for classes and if you, you know, you just become a teacher yourself, people of color will start to uh, permeate the yoga space and it'll start to self-populate, <laughs> if you will. And, and I believe that for a hot second. Um, and it's so, it's just not true. And I don't even know why I believed it because you know, the civil rights movement kind of blew that out. They were like, okay, we can sit around and wait for people to integrate or we can just, let's just force this integration because it's, you know, it's not going to happen. So, and it's the same thing. It's like, yeah, we can sit around and wait for a black person to get big enough in the world of yoga to start, people start thinking it's okay now to invite them to go speak and be on your panel. Or you can just start blowing just blowing, blasting the doors open (laughs) yourself. (laughs) You can start facilitating it yourself. And so when I saw that, I was like, all right. Um, Like, I didn't think the thing was about Black people per se, but I was like, if you're going to have a diverse conversation, you kind of need diverse viewpoints. And so when I looked at it, the first thing I thought, I was like, okay, um, we're talking about different practices in yoga and different viewpoints in yoga and different approaches in yoga and different views of yoga. How can you even have that conversation without a person of color there? How can you have that conversation with, I mean, how can you have, how can you have that conversation without a person of color there? It's just, it's, it's, it's not possible. <laughs> and so that's where it came from. I was like, you know what? You know, it's not going to just happen. It's just not going to just happen. And while Shana wasn't looking to shame me or anyone else, I was ashamed. 
And yet this kind of thing happens all the time. Well-intentioned, good people using words like inclusivity and unity, and yet never looking at our own actions that say otherwise. Because everybody thinks that they are not the problem. Oh, they're talking about somebody else. They're not talking about me. I I love everybody. Uh, My studio is set up to where it's everybody can come. You're all welcome. It's because it's not me. (laughs) When it's not you, you can't see. You've lost the ability to, to see it all, what it is that you're doing. The truth is, it can be all too easy for white people to even believe racism doesn't exist anymore because we don't experience it. In Rennie Edo Lodge's book, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race, she explains that it's an absence of the consequences of racism that defines our privilege. For sure. I mean, I'm going to use this word and a lot of people might not like it, but it's the best word that I can come up with and that people are using these days. But especially if you live in America and not just in America, like white supremacy is, is the standard and it's something that people live with um, all the time. And if you think the yoga culture is somehow exempt from this standard, well, then you should listen to some of Shana's followers, because after she began speaking up, other black members of the community started writing her saying things like, I could, I didn't know how to talk about it, but I've always felt this way of not really being accepted. Like there's the cool kids and I'm on the fringes somewhere. Um, And so that is what I'm hearing. And that's not, that's not acceptable at all. But I think the reason why people get so upset is because people see yoga studios, you know, you hear about the philosophy of yoga, we're all one and it's love and it's all this. So like you might, you might expect that kind of feeling when you go into other space spaces, but you're coming into yoga where you're supposed to get real vulnerable. Um, but you don't feel comfortable enough to do it. Um, and it's because some of this kind of colonialist thought has made its way into a place that's supposed to be protected and sacred. Um, and so, yeah, it definitely starts way before people walk into a yoga space, definitely. But I think it kind of just really affects people because they're like, oh, this is supposed to be a place where I can be safe, um, where I can feel free, I can really be me. And then I walk in here and kind of, I still feel like I have to be that other person (laughs) that I put on when I go to work, (laughs) that I put on when I get, you know, stopped by a white cop. I have to be that person. I have to, you know, I I don't want to be that person right now. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's what's happening. People are walking in and they're like, Ooh, mm, no. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, it becomes a question of, okay, is this okay? Or is this a failure of the yoga community? Because we're supposed to be presenting this, philosophy that's for everyone, you know, that is for everyone to be free from suffering and for everyone to be, have freedom, um, and for everyone to have liberation and enlightenment, but we're not creating a space that everyone wants to be in. This does feel like a failure of the yoga community. And I want to know, how can we change this? Um, so this is something that is, not handled in a day. I mean, it just, 
and there's no, there's not a simple answer to it. And I know some people out there like to present one, but there's not a simple answer to this question. Um, so I would ask like, what is the intention behind the class? What is the intention behind the studio you open? What is the intention behind the teachings that you're presenting? And that that intention should inform how you set up a space. And what's happened is that a lot of people have set up their spaces for the purpose of commerce. <laughs> and, and some people are going to really have to sit with that because they're like, yeah, I want to help people. Really? Really? Was that your number one or was it for the purpose of commerce? And, and I'm not saying that's wrong. We all have to make money in this world and I'm not judging anybody, but like you have to really sit with that and get honest with that. Did I set this space up for the purpose of commerce or did I set this space up or start this class really for the purpose of inviting people into a conversation about liberation, um, about ease in their lives, about finding peace in their lives, about moving away from stress. So depending on why the space was set up, that is going to inform how everything goes down. And so you have to really be honest with yourself. If you started a yoga studio or you're in a yoga studio right now, or started a yoga class where the amount of people that come in there every day and the money you make really drives how everything in that studio goes down then you're going to be hard pressed to create a space um, that is um, going to be comfortable for all. But if you are a person that is really trying to like give this message of yoga to the world, then you have to create a space or create a class where um, people feel comfortable with the level of vulnerability that they need in order to do that. Um, and like some of the things I see um, um, in yoga studios, for instance, like the thing, little things, I'm gonna bring up little things that people don't really think of, right. but little things like the, the brands that you're buying the clothes from that you're selling in your yoga studio. Like, are they brands that black or people of color like there's brands out there. I'm not a big person by any means, but I definitely have what people would see as an African-American body. I've got the butt and I've, you know, I've got the curves and everything. And there are brands out there that their clothes do not fit me at all. Um, there is just like, they puff out in the wrong places and they don't come in at the right places. And it's like, they're made for skinny white women. So it's like, so like, are those the brands that you carry in your yoga studio? <laughs> you know, it's little things like that. Like asking yourself that, like, are, are, yeah, are those the brands that you carry in, in, in your yoga studio? According to Shana, it's the little things that make the biggest difference. Like, for instance, um, I've been looking at this idea of how people provide um, a way for people who um, don't necessarily have um, the coin um, to attend these yoga classes, how, 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 um, how do they make it possible for them? Um, are they using programs where it makes it obvious that there's an us and them, meaning like these people over, where it's obvious that that person was somebody who could not afford to be here, 
and your program unintentionally is pointing that out. Um, like for instance, you know, I've had people tell me like, I don't like being the person who cleans the studio to get classes. And I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it for a long time. I didn't get it at all. I was like, uh, all you got to do is wipe down a mirror and you get some free classes. Go for it. But that's sense. But that makes it obvious. That makes it so obvious. I don't belong here. I don't belong here with you people who can afford to come here and I have to clean the toilets. I mean, it's like, it's stuff like that. It's like, how are you, how are you making it? So people are really included a part of it, not set apart. This idea really struck me. Again, this is a truly sincere way of making the yoga inclusive. And yet, despite our very best intentions, we miss the mark. When some people think of racism, they think of this very overt stuff like, okay, yeah. you know, KKK, somebody shouted the N-word, they wouldn't, you know, let somebody in. That stuff, okay, it's it has an impact, don't get me wrong, but the tiny things, um, those things that 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 can easily somebody can be like, oh, you're reading too much into that. It's those things. It's those things that have the biggest impact. That those things that you can say stuff to, like, oh, you're reading too much into that, you're thinking too much. It's those things <laughs> that affects people the most. And it's those things in your studio that the minute somebody brings it up to you, well, I felt kind of invisible when um, they made room for that one girl and not me. And some people would be like, oh, you're reading too much into it. If you hear that come out of your mouth, it might be a sign that you need to stop for a minute, talk to the person, and really see maybe you're not reading enough into it, you know? All big changes require us going out of our way. I mean, that's what we do with yoga. That's what we're asking people to do. Okay, so yoga is going to change your life. In order for that to happen, I need you to get here six days a week. I need you to do these poses in this order, in this way. You know, because we're promising that at the end of all these, this huge change in your lifestyle, waking up at 4 a.m. in the darn morning, that at the end, you're going to get this huge change that's worth it. Right? So we understand, if we really think about it, that change requires that we are uncomfortable yoga people know that but then when it comes to stuff like this like mm, yeah you're reading too much into it you know whatever then we don't want to be uncomfortable we don't like I didn't want to be uncomfortable I didn't want to think about it I didn't want to be the person who to, to speak on this at all um and I had to become uncomfortable and, and, and that's just going to be what happens. If we want to see change, people got to get uncomfortable. Again, Shana reminds me this whole process has not been an easy one for her. I think back to a few years ago when I first broached the subject of racism and yoga with Shana. I wasn't ready at that time because I was still scared. I was still scared of what would happen if I really opened my mouth and said, everything that was laying on my heart. How would that, how would that work? Cause I've been taught that's not what you do. You assimilate. <laughs> and I was still in heavy, I was still in assimilation mode when I was talking to you. <laughs> but not now, not anymore. This has really been a recent thing for me, really like sitting down and going, you know, what am I doing? What happened? And like kind of rediscovering like why did I get into this in the first place? You know, 
what am I trying to do? And so, yeah, I wasn't ready at that time because I was still scared. I was still scared of what would happen if I really opened my mouth and said everything that was laying on my heart. How would that, how would that work? Because I've been taught that's not what you do. You assimilate. <laughs> and I was still in heavy, I was still in assimilation mode when I was talking to you. <laughs> it was t- very tough for me to find that voice again, because I had that voice and I squelched it. But to find that voice again and and open the doors of the conversation because people do want to have these conversations. They they do. Um, and my life is in a, in a, I've definitely going to a, gone to another level of development spiritually. I'm going to take this back to the Bhagavad Gita, but, um, um, one of my teachers was like, everybody is in the Bhagavad Gita and everybody is a character in the Bhagavad Gita at some point in their life. So like, I was kind of like Arjuna where I'm like, I see things going on in the world but I'm like, nah, I'm going to renunciate. Like that was Arjuna. He was like, okay, I know I got to go to war and I, I, I know this is going down, but I'm scared. So I'm just going to renunciate. <laughs> and that was kind of me. I'm like, I see all this going down, but you know what? I'm just going to prepare myself to live in a cave one day. And, and that's the, the path of yoga that I'm going to take, which is a valid path. But as the Bhagavad Gita, as Krishna's pointed out to Arjuna, he was like, yeah, it's valid. It's a great path, but it ain't yours. He's <laughs> like, it's not your path. It's a path, but it ain't yours. And so I like, I had to have that moment with myself, like Krishna on the chair, you know, on the chariot. I had to have that moment with like, okay, is that my path? Is that my path right now? Maybe one day it will be. But is that my path right now? Or am I taking this path because I'm afraid? Because um, I'm afraid of how that will affect my yoga career. Um, you know, because, you know, I'm not going to lie. I still teach in a, a yoga studio. Um, and I do love the place I teach at. And um, it is definitely a very um, normal American yoga studio um, that I teach at. So I'm still a big part. I'm still a part of that world. So like the fear of what will happen, but like, but what will happen if I don't like, that's where I had to get to. And that's like what Krishna was trying to teach Arjuna. It was like, yeah, but what will happen if you don't, you are the one right now in the space that can do this. You are the one, you are the one that's called to do this. You're the one do it. And that's just where I had to get at. And honestly, like, I'm enjoying this journey into fearlessness. I can't say that I'm all the way in, but I'm close. (laughs) Yeah. Next stop on that courageous journey for Shana, a brand new series of group discussions focused on the Yoga Sutras as Shana joins the live online class forum, Om Practice. Because remember back when Shana was told that she needed to conform and teach a certain way so that people could feel comfortable? It was Shana's love and passion for the yoga philosophy that was coming out. That's what she wanted to teach. That's what she wanted to share. Because this information changes my life. I mean, I'm not just saying that, like, I really feel a connection to the information. Um, 
and the philosophy of the yoga sutras. I just really do. And uh, I want, I'm going to create this class where people can maybe get a taste of the excitement that I have for this information and how it can actually impact their life. Like this is just not philosophy. These are things that you can put into effect. Shana begins with own practice this month. So go on over to ownpractice.com, check it out, check out Shana's classes. I'm excited and I'm excited for another reason because own practice is actually the brainchild of Chris Lucas, who is responsible for this podcast as well. So again, register for Shana's Sutra Talks by visiting ownpractice.com and Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ashtanga Dispatch podcast and for entering into this dialogue with me on racism. I realize it's an uncomfortable topic for most of us, most certainly for me, and it was for Shana as well, but it's also necessary and it's one I hope we can continue. This episode of the Ashtanga Dispatch podcast was written, edited, and hosted by me, Peg Queen. A very special shout out to Zoe Ward for her beautiful sketches of Shana that she provided. And remember, we do provide these podcasts freely for the community, for you. And we depend on your support through donations. If you would like to help, please visit ashtangadispatch.com and click the donate button. Thanks so much.